You're listening to Wrestling Changed My Life, presented by Spartan Combat. Let's go. So the opposite of paranoia is pronoia. And basically what it means is like anything good or bad that happens to you um, is conspiring in your favor. So if, you know, obviously I'm driving in a car, I hit a pothole. A lot of people are like, oh, crap. Why me? Why me? Why me? But pronoia, like that thought is, oh, this is happening because it's saving me from a car accident I would have had down the road. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's it's five percent of the ingredient it pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me taught me humility nothing can hit humble you more than wrestling i think it's the learning to adapt right you learn you learn how to adapt you learn how to solve problems you know if i look back my time i spent wrestling if it gave me one thing more than anything else it's mental toughness welcome back to the wrestling change my life podcast presented by spartan combat This is Ryan Warner, your host. Thanks for tuning in today. Coming to you from the Windy City, Chicago IL, on a beautiful Thursday afternoon. My guest today is Harvard assistant coach Johnny DeJulius. He's a former Buckeye. He was part of that 2015 national championship team for Tom Ryan and the Ohio State Buckeyes. And this guy is one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. We talk about base jumping. We talk about wrestling. We talk about life. Just a lot of fun here. I think you're going to see it immediately. Why well, I think it's uh, one of the funner podcasts we've ever had on this show. So thank you, Johnny, for joining. And before we get to the interview, Johnny and Dylan Palacio travel the country during the summer doing wrestling clinics. They have a few days left at the end of July, early August. They're going to be in Illinois. So if you have any interest in booking these guys for a clinic, hit me up on Instagram at Wrestling Changed My Life. Fan of the week goes to Windy City Painting. That's Windy underscore City underscore Painting on the gram. These guys have given us a lot of support and a lot of love over the past year. So please check them out at Windy underscore City underscore Painting on the gram. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for the great Johnny DeJulius. So cool, brother. It's awesome to have you on. No, I, I've watched your stuff a lot. I appreciate you having me. I've actually kind of like, been jealous like damn i kind of want to go on that sometimes so i was stoked when i got that group chat text dude shout out to sam herring one of the coolest dudes in the wrestling world he's the best man i gotta tell you as much as i want to talk about the wrestling and we will get to that the jumping that you do is absolutely insane and my little uh intro to it is on a side gig i produce a podcast for spartan the obstacle course racing company oh wow they just had this guy on. You ever heard of Super Frenchie, Matteo Gerard? That sounds very familiar. So he does ski base jumping. Oh, yeah. He was on Rogan. Was he? Okay. Yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. He ski jumps like the Alps and shit, but it's yeah. like base jumping with skis on. Yeah. And so that was my first intro- introduction to it. I watched his documentary, went down the rabbit hole. Then I'm watching you. I thought you just did the skydiving. What is the difference in skill level between the skydiving, the wingsuit, and the base jumping? Okay, so like a lot of people will see someone base jump or wingsuit or even ski base, and they'll uh, say, oh, I want to do that one day, right? And that would be the equivalent of uh, a, a, a 17-year-old high school kid who's never wrestled looking <laughs> at Jordan Burroughs' double leg and saying, oh, I want to hit that one day. Like it's just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's. It's crazy. Like the amount of time it takes to get into that. A lot of people think, oh, it's just falling, right? Like you're just falling so much more than that. Right. So for skydiving, um, you know, obviously it's very weather dependent. That's not skill related at all, but how you manage the different weather variables 
does have skill, you know, certain wins, you can, you can land downwind, land into the wind, uh, crosswind landing, stuff like that stuff comes off of the trees off of, uh, sorry, off of, uh, different kinds of structures, right. And gives you turbulence. So in skydiving, it's a big open field and there's an arrow on the ground. So when we're in free fall, you know, we're, you know, 10,000 feet up, I see an arrow mm-hmm. and I see that it says, okay, the wind is blowing this way, which means I'm landing into the wind to slow myself down. It's a huge field. There's nothing to worry about right now in base jumping. Uh, the, the skill uh, for the landing for the canopy flying comes into all the different variables that we deal with, right? We're not 10,000 feet up anymore. Now we're 300 feet up off the ground. And not only are you uh, not jumping out of a plane, but the difference is you're exiting a fixed structure. So the fixed structure, the object is, is a building or an antenna or whatnot. You don't have any, any, any wind blowing up at you yet. Like if I were to stick my hand out of a window, uh, a moving car, that's mm-hmm. what Scott, that's what skydiving feels like, right? It just feels like not falling through it, but more pushing back at you. That's why wind tunnels and stuff like that, you see them all the time, uh, uh, like the indoor skydiving. So in base jumping, you're not going fast enough yet to feel that wind resistance. So it's almost like no gravity for a second, whatever, whatever direction you start to rotate, right? You'll stay like that, like uh, for a few seconds. You'll like see those people trying to swim in the air, right? Yeah. For a few seconds. And it's very scary because you have three pull priorities. You have to pull when stable, pull at altitude, and by all means, pull your parachute, right? So pull when stable, right? If I try to do an aerial and I have a video of me effing this up, I started to flip and I was super upside down by the time altitude came, right? So I wasn't stable. Now, if I were to pitch my parachute upside down, right? That can get wrapped around my body, wrapped around an arm. And obviously it doesn't pull out because it's caught. It's called a snag hazard. A GoPro is a big snag hazard. That's what we call that, right? So that happens, right? In skydiving, I have 10,000 feet to correct that. Mm-hmm. In base jumping, I have maybe two seconds. You know what I mean? Like that's how fast it is, right? The second thing with, with, with skydiving is, is, is your heading performance. If I open off heading, so I, I, I'm facing this way, I pitch, and then boom, a 180 happens for whatever reason, bad pack job, wind gust, whatever, right? Just stuff, body position that could do it. There's nothing really to worry about because it's a big freaking sky, mm-hmm. right? But all of a sudden, if I have a 180 off an object, that's, that's, that's a bad day. That's a really bad day. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a fun day. So that actually happened to me once in Ithaca, New York. Is that the one where you hurt your ankle? Yeah. Yeah. That oh, was, I that, watched that one. That's <laughs> so what, that was a bad day too. <laughs> so I encourage people to watch this video, but you jump off. And so you, I didn't know if the wind blew you back in or if you did a 180 and like, on. so I had, it was my fault. Right. Um, there's two steering toggles on your left and your right riser. The riser is connecting you to your parachute. Uh, and my right toggle, I stowed wrong, just like botched it. So when I open, the jolt of the opening pops one steering toggle off and one is still stowed right here. So I have tension on this one and nothing on this side. Boom, right away, as I open, I turn. And I just didn't have enough time to correct it. And I tried to basically like, teep the the mountain <laughs> it didn't work too well it looks like you would just kind of like maybe be able to run off it or bounce off it but the force must be tremendous i mean you're going like 40 miles an hour to be honest so oh. you know probably a little less maybe 30 but i mean it's it's tough you know it's tough <laughs> what's the uh like what's the lowest gnarliest jump you've ever done um did you ever see on barstool I shouldn't be saying this because <laughs> this is not supposed to be me. Uh, disclaimer, if you work for Harvard, stop listening <laughs> right now. <laughs> Cut the mic. <laughs> uh, did you see on Barstool about a year ago, a guy hit a building? There was like a viral video. No. The only one Maybe, on Barstool so, I've seen you is with, with yeah, the, so that uh, one, right. the catch fall. Yeah. So, so a few, about a year ago, maybe some of the listeners will, will remember this. There was a... Uh, there was a base jump and a guy hits a building. And what was, what was viral about it was the guy who was filming. It was just a regular guy. He was like, Oh my God, we got to help him. And then he like zooms in. So instead of helping, he like zooms in, right? <laughs> so 
So I was actually on that load. Now that was a scary load because it was only about 170 feet. It was downtown Cleveland and the winds, like we have different markers that we use. Like when we're up top, um, it could be only five mile an hour winds, but if they're going the wrong direction and whatnot, obviously it's no good. So these, uh, these flags would like be straight, right? Just like this. Mm-hmm. When we're on top, we would look, we would look across the street. We see these flags for like a couple seconds and then they would fall. So we're like, Oh, let's just hunt for a nice little lull and we'll go. Right. We were like, Oh, you know, just idiots. Now the scary part about that one is it was almost like, Hey, we fooled security. We got through the, the fire escape. We're on top of the building. We're already up here. We might as well, which is never a good, <laughs> that's never a good thing to think. Right. Like I wasn't like, Ooh, I'm excited. It was like, well, I'm here. All right. Like I might as well. Dude. If your friends, if your friends jump off a building, shouldn't you like this? <laughs> so when you say you were on that load, were you the one who was in the video? No. Okay. So no, there's a guy I go, I land good. Um, and there's a guy, he jumps and all he had was maybe like a 45 degree off heading, right? That's, that's it. 45 degree off heading. Now, because he had an off heading, he took his two toggles. They were down here. He brought him back up, which is in, in, in his deep break settings, right? And then he pulls him back down, which actually surges his canopy, kind of like uh, the opposite of a flare. I don't know if you know how helicopters land or planes, they flare their, their, their uh, vehicle, okay. right? So it does the opposite, right? It surges it downwards, which generates a lot of speed, and he just didn't have enough time to, to turn, and he, he kind of kind of hit a building it wasn't oh, was he wasn't, okay he, he was okay yeah he was good but that wasn't a good day <laughs> so was 170 feet enough to feel like the adrenaline rush of a fall like your free fall so yeah so like a lot of times people think like oh the free fall must be the best part right it is like skydiving obviously a good free fall is great um some base jumps you want like a nice delay is what we call it but uh to be honest like the exit is what a lot of base jumpers kind of like. So have you ever heard of the, un, uh, I think it's called the uncertainty principle, like Heisenberg's uncertainty principle or something like that. I always heard use about it. it yeah. Okay. I always use it as like a metaphor, right? These Harvard kids, they're always teaching me <laughs> these terms and stuff. So <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but Bro, like, the fact get, that you're a Harvard coach, in addition, to all this is just fantastic. I, no, it's, it's, it's an oxymoron. It took me like eight years to graduate Ohio state. It's God. not, it's not right. But anyway, <laughs> people are always like, like I was with Dylan one time. And this girl, this chick comes up to us and like, she was flirting with us and she's like, Oh, where do you, where'd you go to school? And Dylan's like, Oh, I went to Cornell. And she's like, Oh, what about you? And I'm like, I'm a Harvard man myself. <laughs> he, he was so mad at me. Jesus. So, so yeah. But, uh, got, yeah. He's an, he's a Ivy league man as well. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's a real Ivy leaguer. He, he like, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He earned the right to say I went to the Ivy League. Um, I the just, story about you not getting the Maryland job because of the college degree is, to me, one of the most fantastic turnarounds. Well, so I that's like something I use a lot when I talk. I'm shocked. I'm, I'm actually really happy you heard that. I um the pothole moments. Yeah, the pothole. Wow, did your homework? So I uh and our ADD is just gonna run wild on this because we were just talking about base jumping <laughs> downtown Cleveland two seconds ago, but uh. <laughs> No. So uh, yeah, keep going. So I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm tight with, um, Carrie recruited me a little bit in college, uh, before I went to Ohio state. Um, and then obviously Jimmy Sheptock was there. And when I was in like interviewing for Maryland, um, uh, I, you know, talked to Jimmy quite a bit, long story short, I didn't have, uh, I had six credits left at Ohio state and I just kept putting them off, putting them off, putting them off. Cause I, I finished my senior year and I had six left. Um, I was going to take it over the summer, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to do camp so much this summer. I'll just take it online in the fall. Right. And you know how life happens. Just one thing yeah. leads another. Hey, I'll take it in the spring. Hey, I'll do it. it really, you know, irresponsibly just kept pushing it off. Then all of a sudden I go to Rutgers. I'm training at Rutgers. Oh, you know what? I'll take it after this cycle. Right. And it just kept pushing off. And then Carrie's like, Hey man, we can't hire you. Uh, you know, without, without these six credits done, like it's two classes. What are you doing? Right. And I was like bummed. It was a big L for me at the time because it was the Big Ten. I really wanted to coach there, you know. But so it was did like, you like think you had it in the bag? Like it was a done deal, and then you got the news. I thought no. I thought I thought as long as I was finishing online, it wouldn't be the end of the world if I was if I was the assistant coach there. I wasn't sure because uh, I had already coached at Kent State mm-hmm. while still having those six credits like 
do. Right. So I thought, oh, you know what? I'll finish it. You know, this semester it'll take, you know, two, three months and I'll be done. And, and it really was nothing. It was just like two classes that I just needed to have the credits for. So, right. Yeah, I love that. that uh, I love that Tom Ryan brought you back though and put you on the RTC just to, yeah. To kinda... That's like, that's like my second dad. <laughs> more, Tom more like Ryan a... <laughs> is the best dude. My God. Yeah. He is. Yeah. I mean, everyone says that about him, but he's been on the show and I love the guy. Um, so many good stories. He's and he's had some moments like that too, man. So I'm like really, you know, what I guess pothole moments is yeah. Kind of, that should be like your book. Maybe. I don't know, man. There's so, a... so, so, you know, I love, that's one of my favorite analogies. Um, Bryce actually taught me a, a word that I didn't know existed. Uh, so I always talk about that pothole thing and the word he taught me was pronoia. Have you ever heard of pronoia? I've heard you say it on a podcast, but I didn't okay. really get what it meant. So the opposite of paranoia is pronoia. And basically what it means is like anything good or bad that happens to you um, is conspiring in your favor. So if, you know, obviously I'm driving in a car, I hit a pothole. A lot of people are like, oh crap, why me, why me, why me? But pronoia, like that thought is, oh, this is happening because it's saving me from a car accident I would have had down the road. So that's what pronoia is. And when Bryce taught me that, like, I was like, oh my gosh, that's, I love that. You know, it takes a lot of pressure off of things though. Right. It kind it of does, just yeah. relieves you to not stress and worry over little things. I just got back from a, a two week trip to Hawaii and you know, I was camping, hiking, didn't have my phone on. My screen time was like 32 minutes a day. That's awesome. And I was just out there with my girlfriend. And then I get what, back. What Island? We went to big Island and Kauai. Kauai. Thank God. I'm so happy you said Kauai. So many people go to Oahu and no, no knock to Oahu. I love Oahu. Kauai is different. Kauai is the best. It's way different. And it's the first time that I did a vacation where I'm actually exploring. I, I always joke around oh, yeah. and say, when I was a kid, we'd go to Clearwater Beach, Florida. We went like two times and it was resort pool and just watching our friends and family drink on the beach. We didn't do anything. I, I, do, I do love Clearwater, but a hundred percent. That's like, you're talking my language now. Like so many, I always say, I wish people could act in real life how they act when they're traveling. Because when you travel, you are so willing to be in an elevator with a stranger and say, hey, where are you from, right? Because you're in the same hotel. Yeah. You're willing to, you just want to meet, right? It's so easy to do that. When something goes wrong, it's like, well, it's, tr it's part of traveling and you're almost like more <laughs> willing for stuff to go south, right? But then when you get back home, you're not going to be in the elevator at your own office and say, hey, where are you from? You know what I mean? You don't give a crap. Right. So it's like, there's so many things that you could take from traveling that I think uh, it shows like it shows who you really are a little bit because it's like, listen, you have this in you. You might as well be that person everywhere. I don't know. I, I, I like who I am when I travel. So I try to replicate that everywhere. And you're yeah. like a, a worldly man, right? You've been to how many probably. countries? Uh, probably close to like 35 or 40. Um, I'd have to go through my list. Uh, just got back from Egypt with Bryce and uh, another buddy of mine, Anthony DiCarlo, who wrestled Ohio State. So that was pretty cool. Tell me about the pyramids, man. I'm big into the 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 conspiracy theory that they're whale oh, yeah. we think that there's water ruins on them, that Dr. Right. Shock, you know, all of that shit, man. So I, I love I love that stuff too. I uh you know they obviously gave us like the tour guys gave us like the the um the you know historical right you know <laughs> side of like how they were built and all that stuff. It was very cool. So me me, Bryce and Anthony. You're talking about Bryce um, Meredith for the Bryce listeners. Meredith. Yep, Bryce Meredith. Me, Bryce Meredith, and my friend Anthony DiCarlo, uh, who started, I think, for for maybe a season at Ohio State, um, from Ohio originally. We actually started um, a, a brand together, kind of like on like how to, um, not how to live life. I would never tell people how to live life. How we like to live life. That's you know kind of what it is. And it's we we trademarked the term "No Tomorrow." Okay. So what it kind of mean what kind of means is. Um, what makes you feel the most present? Like, what are you doing? You know, for some people, uh, they're, oh, is it 5 p.m. yet? Is it time to go home? And they're almost like the movie Click Remote, like trying to fast forward through the mundane parts of their day. Oh, is it Friday yet? Oh my God, am I 65 years old yet? Is it retirement yet? They just don't like, you know, a lot of their 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 weeks, you know, their days, their, their months, whatever it is, right? They, they don't enjoy them. And totally understandable, I want people to, to, to suffer and grind and work hard. And maybe you're not supposed to like those, mm -hmm. but at least do it towards something you enjoy, right? Like for me, I love wrestling and I'm going to suffer via cutting weight, via 
uh, you know, losing, right? Um, hard workouts, kill yourself workouts. I'm going to suffer for those because I like wrestling in the end. And when I wrestle, it makes me feel very present, right? When I skydive, it makes me feel very present. When I travel, it makes me feel very present. I'm not saying, oh my gosh, is it tomorrow yet, right? Mm -hmm. And no, tomorrow is kind of like a, a reminder for us to, to, to grasp, you know, that moment, live in the moment and, and make the most of it, right? It doesn't mean be reckless. It doesn't mean don't plan. It just means, you know, do what you can right now. You don't have to be thinking, oh, is it tomorrow yet? Let me go to bed early so I can wake up and it's tomorrow already. You don't got to be stressing like that. So our whole point to go to Egypt was actually to, um, to like gather content for that, mm -hmm. right? And we had a skydive set up over the pyramids. There was an event going on one day a year, one day a year, they let you do it right now. The day we got there, the, the Israel conflict going on, we were going to jump out of a military plane over the pyramids because of the stuff going on, like, you know, a yeah. hundred, hundred miles away, it got canceled. So <sighs> it's stuck. Right. But that's part of no tomorrow. That's part of the pothole Ooh. stuff. Like you just got to go with it. And and it, you know what? We made the most of it. We got to see so many like historical stuff, which is actually something I don't get to do on a lot of trips. Most of the time I'll like, I'll fly in somewhere and I'll have like an end goal in mind. Like, Hey, I have to reach this mountain. I have to reach this. I have to reach this. So I don't get to do the, I call them the statue of liberties. I don't get to do the statue of liberties in each country. Yeah. And, and, and I got to do that, which was awesome. You know what I mean? Which is cool. So I like that part of it. Dude, so but you got all the way over there, and the the day before or something like that, they canceled. That's crazy. They revoked. Yeah, they took the pier, the the permit away. How big are they in real life? The pyramids. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> crazy. It's like, it's, I I like it was so cool because you you learn about this in school and you're just sitting there. You're like, this is what I saw. Like when I was in fifth grade. This is crazy. Right. There was only one other time I really felt like that. Like one and a half other times. The Coliseum, I was like, oh my gosh, right? Yeah. Oh my, I, I take that back. The oh my gosh moments have happened a thousand times, scenic views, but like I'm talking structures, like man-made structures, the, the Coliseum, the pyramids. And then my other halftime was when I went to um, Pompeii where the volcano happened and you saw like the people like in their last moments, right? Like they're going like this. You can and still just, see it? They're in a, they're in an ash like cast. It, that was that was gnarly too. I was like, what Whoa, the heck? Heavy. Yeah, that was a bad day for them probably. Yeah, but you're, to your point though, I'd heard about that. I didn't know you could still see everything. Like yeah. uh, see some remains up there. It's like a whole city in ruin because Mount Vesuvius is right there. It's actually pretty cool. I, I implore like anybody to like, just go travel the world. I, I think I think you learn so much. Um, I would never, you know, I'm not going to be that like woke person. It's like, dude, I learned... <laughs> I learned more traveling than I ever did in school. Like, no, I get it. School is important, whatever. But you do learn a lot about like social interactions, having a grocery shop in a foreign country, having to figure out a transit system. Like that stuff's important. And there's a lot of people that will save up a thousand dollars, maybe even less. It doesn't take that much to travel. I know people think it does. They'll save up, you know, seven, 800 bucks. They'll go all the way to Cancun. Cancun's great. I love it. But like you said, they'll sit in a resort the whole time. Now, I like resorts. Don't think like, I, I'm not anti-resort, but when every single person there speaks English, all the food is Americanized, right? You're not getting the full culture experience that you can. You might as well go to Vegas. You might as well stay in the, you might as well not spend that much money right. to do that. You know what I mean? So if you're going to be one of my rules, I have like a list of rules on travel. Like one of my rules is like, if I'm going to do all this, do something I can only do here. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Not every day, but do something I can only do in Egypt. Do something I can only do in Cancun. You know what I mean? And uh, and a few other days, yeah, go to the pool, go to the resort. That's fine. But but try and try and harness that little part of it too. You know. I also love how you're not the international traveler who can't say a good thing about the countryside of the U.S. I've heard you like brag about all the cool shit you can see in the U.S. Dude. Man, like that's an ah makes you so mad like. Oh. <laughs> Like, I, I just need to be out of America. Like, America's <laughs> sick. Are you crazy? We have so many national parks and we have so many, we have deserts, mountains, uh, uh, the coastline, you know, from, from the Pacific Northwest in Oregon to like the Death Valley. It's only like a 15 hour span, but they're completely different, like, you know, environments and it's right. unbelievable, right? So explore the United States as much as you can. You know, it's, it's awesome. I love it here.
<laughs> you have to tell the story about when you wrestled in Cuba and you literally could not find a check scale. And so you'd be speaking oh of international travel. This is a little bit different because you were in you were in business mode down there. I don't even remember telling the story. I told it on a this podcast. is an old podcast. I, I've, been, I've been in the rabbit hole, dude. This oh, is an man. old one. This was with uh, this was with our man Sam Herring back in 2019, and you were uh, you were telling about like these you know don't get you know trying to give some advice, don't get into any like pre match habits or quirks because when you wrestle, ah, it's out the window. I stole that from. Um, I stole that from Travel. I steal everything from Travel. Travel, Jay Jaggers, Tom. I steal all my good stuff from them. Dude, but uh, you were around some guys. But yeah. So what? What's this? How did you literally not be able to get access to a check scale? So you know, I don't know if it's you know, I've only been on, I've only been in a few international tournaments. Uh, that was the only one I actually fortunately got to travel overseas for. But in Cuba, uh, you know, Reese and them have always told me they'll they'll try and like screw some of the wrestlers over a little bit by just making stuff hard, mm-hmm. right? Making it hard on them. Um, and not giving them access to, to the scale beforehand, this and that, just, you know, playing chess, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, I get there and I was a little worried. We didn't really have a team USA scale. Um, so I was thinking, okay, I'll check at the wrestling room. So we go to the wrestling room, but that scale was like all up and down, you know, it wasn't really trustworthy. So I didn't know how that was going to compare to the actual weigh-in scale in a couple days. So when I went, to the weigh-in scale in a couple of days, I had not checked my weight in like a day and a half or two days, or I forget what it was, but something crazy. Right. And I could kind of tell like, you know, a lot of wrestlers like, no, Hey, I'm close. And I had already started relatively close. Like I was within like six pounds. So I knew my pre day workout is I know exactly what I'll lose. I lose, once I start sweating, I lose about a pound every 15 minutes. So I knew exactly what I would lose, right? Now that's if I, I have, you know, my exact sweats. Everything's like a science, yeah. right? So uh, I remember getting there and I was I was like an hour, hour or so early and I was like, oh, perfect. I'll check, then I'll go work out. So we get there. I hadn't checked my weight in a couple of days and I go to weigh in and they're like, nope, nobody's allowed in here. And I'm like, what do you mean? Nobody's allowed in here. And he starts speaking Spanish. The dude probably spoke English, but he was just, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's pretending right now. Yeah. He's like, who doesn't speak English at this point? And he's like, he's like, ah, da, da, da. and I'm like, dude, I need to check my weight. And I'm, I think I was with Ty walls and maybe brewer or I forget who I was with. Hunter was there and we're all looking like, are, like, what are we going to do? And I remember it was like a hundred degrees outside. I just put on my clothes. And I started running just to make sure. And I was running and I was sweating an hour went by. I go to check and I was like 61 kilos on the dot. <laughs> it was crazy. Dang. Yeah. And when you say wrestling room, what are we talking down there for facilities? It was, um, it was like outdoor, uh, you know, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but obviously didn't have the funds that, you know, a right. lot of the American rooms have. Right. And, uh, it was, it was rough, you know, the, the, there was a million people in there. All the windows were like shattered. Like there were some shattered windows. So like it was open, but there was still windows. I don't know how, how, like how to explain that without it sounding crazy. But uh, there was like, there was windows that were just like taken out and it was, it was just gnarly looking, but you almost like felt like you, you were Rocky going back to the old gym instead of going to like the new tree. You know what I mean? It was right. cool. That was, it was fun. It's amazing that there so dominant though in wrestling for the size they are like if you go per capita oh, yeah. it's ridiculous how good cuba is well this this one guy came to ohio state uh he was on the cuban team now this is like when i was a freshman so mm-hmm. i wasn't too i didn't know too much about the senior level yet so i wish i could tell you his name he was a lightweight freestyler but he was he he wasn't competing at the time he was probably 10 years past mm-hmm. um and I remember he comes in and he goes, are you guys kidding me? And we were like, what? And he's like, this is, you guys have all this stuff and you're not Olympic champs. We have nothing. And he said the difference, and he said it in a cool accent. So it sounded way more yeah. like bad, badass, right? He's like, the difference between uh, us is if you lose, you go home, you sleep good. If I lose, right, I don't feed my family. And you know what I mean? That whole like mindset, right? Like the way he said it, it was like, holy cow. It almost, it's funny. Like someone could say something really generic in an English accent, not English, in, a, <laughs> yeah. in an American accent. And it's, it's whatever. Like it could be like, 
hey, bro, you got to let it go, right? And it's like, dude, I've heard let it go a thousand times. <laughs> but if I say that stuff in a, in, a, in a Cuban accent, it's like profound. It's like, bro, let it go. I don't even know what, I don't even know what accent that is. Like, I don't even know what accent that is. That was like a Russian Cuban, yeah. but it came through. <laughs> if you but, say it in a Russian Cuban accent, bro, it's like mind blowing, right? Dude, the crazy part is he was probably talking about the old Ohio State facilities too, not the new one. Steelwood. Right? That, we were at Steelwood when he did that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one. like, and that wasn't good enough. For these new age recruits, so you got to build this new incredible facility. But yeah, it's crazy to see that. Uh, I'm working on a documentary now, and one of the subjects in it is from Russia. And so I'm getting really into his into his background, his nuts and bolts. And it's like, it just, after I read about it for like three hours, I just feel tougher walking around my apartment. I don't know. 100%. It's the weirdest thing. Like They're just so nails tough over there. It's It just gives you so much perspective and, and it's awesome. And that's, that's something like I, I wish we as wrestlers can do um, even outside of our own sport. You know, I feel like we have such a hard time uh, because we don't get the credit we feel we deserve, right? Like, yeah. you know, we don't get the, the, the glory that the football and the basketball and all these popular sports get. So we feel the need to defend so fast. Like, no, we're the toughest sport. No, we're the toughest sport. And while biasedly, I do agree. Like, you know, we're, we have such a tough sport. I, I do hope wrestlers one day can have respect as a whole for how hard other people work. Cause people, yeah. people work hard everywhere all over the world. You know, they really do. I don't care who you are. You know, if you're, if you're a professional athlete somewhere, you're probably a, an ass kicker, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy. And even that, like the people I've had on here who went on to be like doctors, like one of them, Eric Tannenbaum, uh, Illinois guy went to Michigan, went on to med school as a le- you know, legit doctor, knee surgeon. He's like, there's a, when I got to med school, there's a lot of people who easily outworked me and they never wrestled a day in their life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's I like, that. that quote isn't true that Gable said, you know, and, uh, that's I, funny. I, I kind of side with that most of the time, you know? I, I agree. Like I, uh, actually not to go deep right away. I, um, I lost my mom when I was 16. Right. Right. And, uh, I, I a hundred percent think wrestling does give you tools, right. To help. Right. And there's a million mm-hmm. things like, you know, obviously you have a whole podcast dedicated how wrestling has changed my life. Right. And I cherry pick from those tools, but when it comes down to what was harder, right. A hard practice, a hard loss versus obviously losing somebody like that every day of the week you know it's always going to be something like but again the tools that 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 you're given are um are obviously you know undeniable in wrestling there's so many things i've learned just from the sport just from working hard and stuff like that um there's a kid actually at harvard who said this one day it was it was pretty cool that he said this he brought that gable quote up and then he said uh there's a lot of people who who fought and died for this country that never wrestled there's a lot of firefighters that never wrestled. There's a lot of great mothers and fathers that never wrestled. So while wrestling is great and it gives you tools, it's not the end all be all, you know, this is what's going to make me the best, you know? And, and that's, a, that's a great thing to think in my opinion, you know, yeah. it is, it is at the end of the day, it is a sport, you know, as much as we love it, as much as I've, you know, shaped my life around it, it is a sport. And I respect anybody who works hard outside of wrestling as well. Absolutely. And it's, it's something where, that study, I think you're referring to an ESP and it was like swimming was number one and there's no jokes. Yeah. You remember that? Super, yeah. It's like, it's swimming is super hard, but right. it'd be different if like you were swimming against someone, right, another yeah. person. And it, it angered me too at first. Yeah. Right? I was like, I was like, no, it's not wrestling. And then I was yeah. like, why do I care? Like, right. who, like I know it's so, so who cares? You know, like I, it's so funny. Yeah, it really is. And it's, there's a lot of uh, chips on the shoulders yes. guys in the, in the sport. The one thing I love about you is how you take all these old adages. I call them the bad advice adages and you, <laughs> you break them down publicly. Um, one of which was if you win, you win, if you lose, you learn. And you're like, what if you wrestled someone who sucks and you didn't do, you know, you weren't that much better. Yeah. So or you didn't the, improve. The, so go ahead. again, again, that's something I steal from Travell. I can't, I can't take credit. Like I, ah, he's I don't, man. he is, he's, he's a wizard. I don't, I mean, I, I shouldn't say I don't, I, I steal things a lot more than I manifest things. I just happen to, to uh, paraphrase them pretty, pretty well. My dad's yeah. a, a speaker. So I, I fortunately have, uh, I think, you know, I don't know if I'm, you know, boasting myself, but I, I, I do feel like I can, I can storytell well. And um, so I steal from all these coaches that I'm around, you know, Oh, I like what he said. I like what he said. Now I'm going to say it. 
not like a robot. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the th- along that track, one of my things I was most looking forward to asking you, you, know, you do camps all over the country, thousands of kids, you know, a bunch of states, not 53 states, but 47 states. Oh, because of the video. That's funny. <laughs> Let me ask you this. What's some of the worst advice you're constantly hearing out there amongst the, uh, the youth? Okay. So, so the one, the one you just said, you know, you the win you learned, right. I, I, in my opinion, you know, you, 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 you win, you get better, you lose, get better. Right. It's, it's, I could, I could win a match, um, and do zero moves two to one right out, you know, whatever. And I didn't learn anything or I could risk 16 times, get in on, on a backside single and get stuffed by a wizard, right? And the wizard keeps me from, from finishing a shot. But because it happened X amount of times in a match, hey, guess what? Now I have a little bit of, of foundation. Hey, this is where I got to get better. Now, with the way I'm saying it, it sounds like, you know, hey, just go out and just throw, throw stuff at the wall. But that's not what I mean. There is still strategy. There is still, hey, I'm not going to shoot this 30 seconds because I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I get it. There's still mm-hmm. that. But at the end of the day, you do want to view wrestling uh, in that way. Um, another thing that I always hear, uh, dads, if you're listening to this, don't come up to me at a wrestling camp and say, hey, should you be eating that? Because I'll look back at you and say, should you be eating that? Okay, because I don't <laughs> care. All right, like, listen, don't say that to me. That's something I always get told. Uh, I'll teach something. This happens a lot too. I'll teach something and you know, coach called to me, Hey, I'm really happy you showed this. And I'll be like, why? And he's like, cause I showed this exact same thing last week. And I'm like, <laughs> why are you having me here, bro? Like, I don't even know why I'm here. Like, how about, you- how about, the, do you ever get this one? A coach comes up to you and he's like, I really want you to work my guys over today. Give them a good, yeah, like, give them a good beat do down today. Yeah. What the heck? Like, I, so <laughs> what I do, I like, it's funny when I do clinics now, um, the, the number one thing I want to happen is kids that have fun and, and learn some moves, right? Like, obviously like that's another, but that's almost like the last thing I can worry about on the list. So like, I want them to learn moves, but what comes before that focus wise is, you know, holding their attention. Are they having fun? Um, are the dad, I, sometimes I, I teach not for the kids. I'll say things for the dad because mm-hmm. like, I'll pretend like I'm saying it to the kid and I'll see this dad like yelling at this kid, the whole practice. So I'll give like a little speech. I'll be like talking to the, you know, Hey guys, listen to that. And then I'll like, kind of like slide in there something about how, like, you know, don't listen to the outside people. You know what I mean? Cause his dad <laughs> is being like a freaking yeah. jerk. And it's funny. Like I have to do that so often. So kind of part of my schedule now is um, I'll do a two hour clinic break two hour clinic. I'm sorry, two hour technique break two hour technique. And then like the last hour I'll tell them, Hey, listen, uh, I'll do two technique sessions and the last hour I'll do like a power hour where we'll just work them really hard. So now they're like getting, Oh, okay. I get the hard work part of it out of the way. And I can do my whole, Hey, here's the moves. I want you to focus on part of the way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it pleases both. So that, that's what I try to get to now. And so when you go on these trips, you're going with the great Dylan Palacio. And I just say Come that because he's hysterical. You're, and you guys are like just living on the road. Is that how are you uh, tenting camping? Like, how does it work? We're, we're literally, we, we don't know. We like, it's, it's totally like the, the no tomorrow thing that I told you about. It's yeah. totally, it's just no, like, we have no idea what's happening. It's, it's, we'll, we'll start driving to a, a clinic. Let's say we get one in Iowa, right? We'll tweet, Hey, you know, we're, we're passing through Iowa. Anybody want to hit us up? True story. We were in Iowa. Some club in Arkansas says, Hey, you want to come down South? Another club in Texas. Hey, you want to come down south? So we piggyback those. We'll go to Arkansas Saturday, Texas Sunday, right? And we just boom, 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 right? Straight in line. So we do kind of map it out somewhat strategically, but the stuff that happens is just total nonsense. Like the way we met Bryce Meredith, we were doing a clinic in Colorado and we screwed up our mapping. We had to go from like Colorado to like Alabama or like something like insane, right? And we're like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And we're driving and our car broke down. It was like, the we thought it was the battery, but it was like the alternator or something like yeah. that. So at the time we were like, oh, we need a jump. We, we don't know what to do. Do we know anybody in Colorado? And at the time we're like, <laughs> dude, I don't know who the heck to call. Bryce was in Denver. We saw on his Instagram. So we know like, yo, we're in Colorado Springs right now. Can you come like jump our car? And he comes down, never hung with him before in our entire lives. 
He jumps our car. We ended up getting the alternator thing figured out later on. Long story short, though, after he jumps our car, we're like, well, we have a little bit of time to kill. You want to go cliff jump? And the three of us went and go cliff jump, like right after that, with Oliver oh. a stone from Flow Wrestling, actually. It was pretty funny. <laughs> Dude, that's the kind of stuff that probably makes the trips just its whole awesome. journey in its own. What's the it longest you've gone without coming back home during the summer, like for these camps? Um, well, I have a lot of camps that hit me up in Ohio. Okay. So that, that's nice. But it, in a day, I'm sorry, days in a row, I've done every day the month of June before. So all wow. 30 days. Um, every day of the month of June. And then I went to, after I did every day of the month of June, I wanted like two weeks off. So I flew to the Philippines for two weeks and then I came back and I did like, I think there was like 13 days, 14 days left of July. And I did, you know, 10 of those 14. So it was like, just hammered them out. You know what I mean? So I like it. It's fun. And everybody always says like, oh, when you, you know, get closer to 30, this and that, you won't want to do that anymore. I, I want to keep doing it. It's so fun for me. I love it. I love that you're just so passionate about it and that you're using social media to, like really, you know, fill up your summers, you know, try to, yeah, try to definitely. I, um, I'm fortunate that Jay Weiss at Harvard, you know, uh, appreciates it that, that, that I like doing camps, but I also think that he, he knows how much, you know, it helps Harvard's, you know, brand just going across the different clubs, interacting with kids, you know, so many kids are, I had a kid the other day, come to camp wearing a Harvard wrestling t-shirt because I was coming. And, you know, in the past it's happened at Ohio state a bunch when I go, but the fact that it was Harvard now, it was pretty cool. It's like, oh, this kid really follows what I'm doing. He knows I'm at Harvard. And, and that was fun for me. You know, that was cool. So have you been able to coach there during a non-COVID year? Yeah, yeah. My first year was was pre-COVID. Was uh where was NCAA set? Um, oh no, wait. Now that you said that, because you didn't had the full year, but the nationals got canceled, yeah, right? We had the full year, no NCAAs. Why? I can't believe I just blanked. So full year, all the way through EIWAs, no nationals, and then Ivy League couldn't wrestle last year. So I haven't had a national tournament yet at Harvard, but I've had a regular season. Dude, is someone going to talk some sense into those maniacs at the Ivy League to get the sports programs back going again? Come on. It's crazy. Dude, are you hearing anything for this year? So, no, I I, I mean, I'm I'm out the loop on that. They wouldn't – I'd be the last person they would tell. Not the coaches, <laughs> but yeah. like the AD. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I hope. I really Man, hope. Man, that's got to be – We got to stop guys – from transferring to Penn state, you know, it's for real. And yeah. Yeah. Cole going to Stanford. It's just crazy, yeah. man. So I gotta, I gotta ask you about some of your days in Columbus, man. Cause you were part of the legendary 2015 team. You had some iconic teammates. Okay. So those days in Columbus. Okay. Those days. Wrestling days. Yes. All right. yeah. Those the other legendary days for another time, yeah. <laughs> bro. Tell me about Logan Steber's work ethic as a college wrestler. What was he just on another level? Yeah. So the thing about Logan is, is it's not, you know, obviously work ethics through the roof, but that's not the part I want to compliment. It was more consistency, right? Mm -hmm. Which I guess, you know, is the same umbrella as work ethic. Um, his consistency, no matter what was, it was, it was, I was going to be there no matter what every day I showed up. Right. And, and obviously showing up is always not enough. You have to, it's what you do when you show up, but let's say, uh, let's say we had a, a, a weekend off and it was, you know, the middle of spring or summer and we were allowed to go out. We were allowed to, you know, go do our own thing, you know, go hang with buddies uh, and whatnot. Shenanigans, Saturday night stuff, college kids, right. No matter what, if he went to bed early, he would show up at 9 a.m. on the bike, working out the next day. If he stayed up all night, he would show up 9 a.m. on the bike, working out. It was just consistent, right? So he knew no matter what he chose to do, right, in his own leisure time, it was never going to affect uh, his, his, his purpose that he was there, right? That never changed. It was never like, oh, you know what? I'll make that workout. I'll make that workout up later. Like, it was, that was never a thought. You know what I mean? And, and that was... That was a big part of, 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 I think why, why he was so great, you know? And for that long to do it, it's like five years, you know, and really your whole life of doing that. He was, he was the best since he was at Tulsa, you know, like forever, <laughs> forever. I mean, four high school state titles, four NCAA titles. And like you said, just wrecking kids a year. I mean, I don't know a ton about the Ohio circuit. I'm an Illinois guy, but 
he must have just been legendary on like the Ohio middle school circuits. Yeah, he was. So, uh, you know, he he was like, were you obviously like Spencer Lee's? Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Spencer Lee's like presence as like a high schooler, right? Like his like his like oh my gosh, that's Spencer Lee. Like everybody kind of like talked about him when he was so young. Right. That's how that's how Logan was. But obviously, like social media wasn't around yet. All this stuff that kind of created these hypes about people wasn't around yet. And he had that amongst our community in Ohio as like an eighth grader. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is pretty crazy, you know? And you guys all went there together. I mean, his brother, I think, was the same class as you. And so all these Ohio guys are going to Ohio State. What about Snyder? How would you like compare and contrast his approach to Stevers? Uh, so I guess let me ask, were you there with him? Yeah, for, okay. for, for two, two or three years, plus, okay. an RTC, plus an RTC year. Uh, so Logan was – this is a compliment, what I'm about to say about Logan. He was – I don't know how to say this, but it sounded like I'm digging at him. But, like, he was like a jerk about how he would go about it. Like, he knew who he wanted to hang with. He knew who he didn't, right? Mm-hmm. And and he he just – he didn't let anything interfere. Not that Kyle does. It's just like the way Kyle would go about stuff is, is Kyle would, his work ethic was through the roof, but he was more on his own a lot. So while Logan almost was like, Hey, you either need to keep up with me or, or you're going to fall behind. Kyle was just doing his own thing just because, you know, he's, he's an upper weight. I wasn't around him as much. A lot of the times he was training only freestyle. So he was like separated from the, you know, the folk style guys. So, so I didn't get to see a lot of that. Um, during practice, you know what I mean? But what, what I saw from Kyle that I really liked was every day at Ohio State, we would have like after like practice, like meetings, even if it wasn't like a team meeting, uh, like mandatory, we would all just kind of like hang out and, and chop it up a little bit. And the stuff he would say and break down about wrestling, that was, that was always like awesome. There's so many like isms that I take from him that, that, you know, I'll never forget that he's taught us, you know? Do you have any you can remember, or just like the oh, way yeah. he breaks down technique? Or? Dude, I got, I got a million. Like, hit hit us with a couple. I got a million. Uh, something that they talked about one time. Um, so I was pretty bummed out because uh, I, I had gotten you know beat by by a kid that you know usually I get the better of at practice that day, and I remember talking to him and Travell about it, and I was like pissed off. And we've all heard a phrase in the past like, "Hey, don't take practice home with you." right? Like, Hey, don't take practice home with you. And that's very easy. It's very easy to hear like, Oh yeah, whatever. Like leave it here. Right. Yeah. But when you break it down, kind of what they would say is, uh, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. I'm going to use like a real life analogy. Um, if, if gosh, I'm trying to think of a good analogy off the top of my head. I'm sorry. If, yeah, whatever. If I beat a kid Again, it kind of goes back to the, the, the quote we just talked about. If I beat a kid uh, two to one at practice in a four minute go, and I took him down in the first 20 seconds, right? Mm-hmm. And for the next minute, you know, three minutes and, and whatever seconds, I did nothing. I zero risk, hung on, didn't want to open up because I just cared about the winning. It's very easy for me to take practice home with me and say, I'm the best. I beat him today. I got the win. I won. Even though it was only two to one, he didn't take me down, whatever. Right now the win doesn't actually go home with you. What actually goes home with you is all the choices you made during the process of that match. Did I choose to risk? No. Okay. So guess what? Lack of risk-taking that'll probably go home with you. That'll become a part of who you are. That'll become a part of your identity. And in your real life, you're not going to be a risk taker mm-hmm. in other areas of life. You're not going to ask that chick out at the bar, right? You're not going to ask her. You're not a risk taker. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's just part of it. Now, if I shot 12 times in that four minute go, and, you know, maybe I win, maybe I lose, maybe he spins on me, you know, six of the times, whatever. If that happens, the win or the loss doesn't go home with you it's very easy for me to be bummed out and pissed off and take it home with me but what actually goes home with me is hey listen i can put it on the line you know what i mean i didn't really care about the score i was willing to just see what happens mm-hmm. i was willing to just have that that you know that troubleshooting uh, uh risk-taking gene in me you know what i mean you know other examples of that is 
you know, if I chose to stay in comfort and close up versus chose to, you know, really open up and exhaust myself, that stuff goes home with you. You know what I mean? So that stuff really uh, impacted how I would look at practice when they would say stuff like that. And when I would start to have the, I need to win at practice mentality, uh, especially in, in, in RTC, I learned so much more in the RTC than I did in college. I wish I could go back. Um, really? It, like, like, how do you mean? Like technique wise or just like philosophy? No, philosophy stuff. You know what I mean? Technique stuff, you know, uh, always, you're always, you know, getting better technique, but just the way you approach things, it always changes, you know? And, and that's one of them that, that really impacted me. How, how I looked at, at practice, almost like, uh, I'm going to try and give up 199 points in order to score 200 points. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Instead of, instead of like, Hey, if I do a plus B I'll win, you know what I mean? Like, listen, sometimes B goes wrong and you got to figure it out, you know? So, so that, that was, that was important stuff. You know, as you, uh, as you progress through RTC, I learned that kind of stuff. And how much worse is it if you're a middle schooler and your dad's watching you yelling at you, if you give a takedown of practice, that's where it gets bad, you know? Yeah. I've seen the the best college wrestling coaches in the world sit down at practice at their son's middle school practice and not say a word. And I've seen these dads who've never wrestled a day in their life be in their kid's face, right? At the end of the day, let your coaches coach. You know what I mean? Let someone coach your kid. Now, it doesn't mean you can't be a dad. It doesn't mean you can't, you know, give advice here and there or this and that. But you got to, if you're going to take them to a, a, a club, let the coach coach. Now he could be a knucklehead. He could be an idiot. I don't know. I don't know who, you know, every, I'm not right. going to vouch for every single coach, but at the end of the day, you, uh, Tom Ryan has a great quote. He always says uh, a, the best plan in the world with no trust is never as good as, is a mediocre plan with all the trust in the world, right? Like if you have trust, it's always going to be a better plan than a great plan with no trust, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so trust your coach, you know, dude, speaking of great college coaches, you just mentioned them, um, Tom Ryan, what a, just a legend. And one of the great speakers of wrestling coaches, you know, I always loved John Smith growing up because he was the best interview ever. You know, yeah. he's just a great talker. Same with Tom Ryan. What Every, everything Tom says though, is, is off the top. That's the best part. He doesn't sit there and, and Hey, I'm going to, you know, say this and this, and this. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He'll come in there. There's a, so, 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 so. And then he says, so a lot before he starts a speech. So that's why so. And then he'll just like go for 10 minutes. And it's like, where did this come from? You're like, what the heck? And you like, he doesn't rehearse it. It's totally off the top. And the whole reason he's so good at that is because it's authentic passion. It's authentic passion. You know what I mean? That's why he sounds so fired up because it's not fake. It actually, he actually is fired up. You know, you can't. You can't have, you know, makeshift passion. And he totally has it. What's it like when Tom Ryan shows up in the living room as a high schooler? Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. That was cool. I actually verbaled, um, I verbaled pretty early. Yeah, I was like, so, sophomore maybe, sophomore or junior, I forget. Sophomore, junior, high school. Um, so he wasn't able to have that visit yet. Cause I wasn't old enough, yeah. but eventually when I had that, I went and took my official visit, did all that stuff. And we kind of had a relationship. Families had a relationship uh, prior as well. So like we, we knew them pretty well. Uh, I've been friends with Jake forever. So dude, he, I just, I can't say enough about, about the guy. What's um? I'm just trying to think of any, any good nuggets or stories you have from Tom Ryan that you take with you. I know the quote he said about like following your passion, not your money. That's like you to a T. Like I, yeah. I think about that. I mean, look what's happened to you. But what other like just Tom Ryanisms have you taken with you through your <laughs> life? I got a lot. Uh, oh man, off the top of my head. Uh, what? Oh, I, there's so many bad ones. Like <laughs> bad ones going through my head right now. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, obviously like his book, have you seen his book? Yeah. So that chosen suffering thing, that's like a real thing for him. He has said that forever. And, you know, he said things like, uh, you know, you're going to suffer whatever you do. You might as well suffer for something you know, you enjoy. And there's kind of two parts of wrestling. You know what I mean? There's, there's preparation and there's competition. And, you know, I can, I can have fun at one of them. And I can choose to, to suffer and to grind at one of them. If I choose to have fun when I prepare uh, and, and by fun, it doesn't mean 
Right. You can't, it doesn't mean you can't have fun, but it means like you're in comfort a lot, right? So if I choose to have fun when I prepare, I'm probably going to suffer when I compete because I'm probably not going to wrestle that good. And then on the flip side of that, if I choose to suffer when I prepare, I'll probably have a lot more fun when I compete. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's not because I'm going to win every time. If there's a coach out there that says, hey, I guarantee you'll win, he's a liar, right? That's just unfortunately the sad truth. We've seen people do everything right and still lose, unfortunately. However, what people can promise you is you will probably wrestle to the best version that, that you can, right? To the best of your abilities. And that's fun, right? When I'm, when I'm doing like the best that I can, that, that is a lot of fun. Obviously, losing is never fun. But, but when I can put stuff out there and do cool moves and do good wrestling, that's going to be fun. And that's a byproduct of working really hard, you know? So, so that's something that he talks about that chosen suffering. That's a real thing. And, uh, and, and, and there's so many things I've, I've took from him and brought into to everyone that I go, you know, every, every university I've, I've been a part of Kent Rutgers, Harvard, I've, you know, stolen stuff that he's told me. Dude, the, just the, the guys you were learning from there, like Tervell, Tom Ryan, I don't know if like Lou Roselli was there, but man, just think of like, Lou, Lou was my coach. Yeah. He was like the lightweight coach when I was there. Gotcha. I don't know a ton about him and I've never spoken with him, but he, you talk about him to the guys he's coached. It's like a, an iconic person, you know, he's, he's like, he, he's the, he's the best. He's the best. The last thing I wanted to ask you about, and we're, we're kind of speed dating here. Cause there's so, so much shit. I could just yuck it. With yeah. Yeah. I, I was ready to talk, man. We could, you know, Dude, this is- <laughs> I, um, the shirt you had that Zeb Miller, <laughs> <laughs> bro. Oh my God. I almost skipped over this video and I'm so glad I did it because one, I didn't even know you had a rivalry with Corey Clark. So now I've gone down that rabbit hole and watch. There's a, there's a, there's a lot about that that I have never told about that. I've never told on a podcast, but we'll, we'll save that for another time too. Okay. We'll save it for another, (laughs) if you want to share it. Hey, we're, we're all ears for that one, but, um, just tell people what's on the shirt. All right. So, Obviously, like everybody has uh, a senior level, hey, I'm doing camps and I'm still competing t-shirt, right? Nobody's making money at these RTCs. I shouldn't say that. I'm very thankful for the RTCs, but nobody's making like a lot of money. So it's like, hey, another way for me to have some income, I'll just hustle a few t-shirts, right? So I'm thinking like, you know what? I do a lot of camps. I should have a t-shirt too. Why not? Like if anybody wants to come to the US Open and watch, maybe they can wear it. They can buy it at, at, uh, at the camps. So I thought, what could make mine like a little different than just like, you know, uh, I don't know who's a, a random wrestler, you know, Meredith, you know, 65 kilos. And that's usually all it says, like the name and then just the the the, the, the thing. And I, I use Bryce as an example because he doesn't do that. He's pretty abstract. <laughs> He's very abstract with, with his stuff, right? So most shirts, though, they say something very like basic like that, like, you know, you really have to be a fan of the individual to like it. And I was thinking like, dude, I didn't win the nationals. You know, I was a decent name at Ohio state, but for the most part, like I, I need people to, for them to, to be my fan. They need to like me. They need to like my personality and and whatnot, because I don't have the NCAA medal, the championship. I don't have that accolade yet. Right. Like I wanted to obviously us open wise that a die, but uh, long story short, I said, how can I put my personality on a shirt? Well, I skydive and I wrestle. Those are my two things. That's what people know me for. So I had a little cartoon skydiving wrestler. It was me in a singlet with a big parachute over top. So that was the start. And I got that first on a shirt and I was like, you know, I really like that. I, uh, but I wanted like, like it was, it was, it almost felt plain or like naked. I wanted more. So I hit up this, I hit up Twitter and I was like, Hey, I need help with like Photoshop. Anybody know anything? And ironically, Mason Manville of all people, I've like never talked to him in my life, tweeted back at me. Hey, have you ever tried the app Fiverr? So I look up what Fiverr is. It's like, I'm, I'm sure you've maybe you seen it all before. The it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. It's like Airbnb or uh, for, for graphic design, right? Yeah. So it's like, you just look at, you know, put out what you want. And a bunch of people from, you know, all over the world, India, you know, Pakistan, I think I had a person from Pakistan do my last, they just hit you up. Hey, I'll do it for five bucks. And it's like, holy cow. Awesome. Right. So I needed a skyline because I wanted my wrestler, my skydiver to be landing in a city. And I thought if I make a skyline of every like 
notable name, all American national champ I've ever beat. It would be pretty funny, especially if they were all puns. For example, I pinned Cody Brewer, right? So at the bottom of the shirt, there's a little bridge called Brewer bridge. Cause he couldn't bridge off his back. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the Corey Clark other? one? What was Corey's? You know, I have a picture of it somewhere. Oh, it was God, something with I... like a gas company. Um... Oh, because Clark Gasco. That's right. Good memory. <laughs> that was good. So I beat him twice. I beat him at the US Open. And I also beat him at the duel at Ohio State when I was in college. And I took him down like three times in the first period. But I got like dumb tired, right? Like really tired. And when I was wrestling, he started to like really come back. It was like the third period. And he got a takedown. He like cut me. He started like doing the whole Iowa thing. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I'm like, dude, I cannot get Iowa right now. Like, there's no way. Like, no, I'm at Ohio State. Like, this cannot happen. And uh, everybody on the Iowa bench was screaming, like, he's stalling. He's stalling. And I was. Like, I was, I was stalling my butt off, right? I was, I was so tired. I was yeah. gassed. So I like, the whistle blows, end of the match. It was it was still three takedowns to one. So I didn't feel that bad for stalling. But it was like three takedowns to one. And I like kind of like, we were like in like a spaghetti scramble. And I kind of like, you know, push him off me. And I like, as I get up, Tom Brands is like on the mat, in the middle of the circle, on it, like in my face. And he's like this. <laughs> and it's like, he's like, and he goes, and I, I heard him say something like, you were gassed. You were gassed. He was gassed or something like that. And he's like talking to Corey and he like backs up and I like I'm shaking my hand and like, I'm like fired up now. I'm like, dude, what? Like, what's up? And I get my hand raised. <laughs> and then I was like, dude, I was gassed. So I'm just going to put that on the shirt. Like Clark's gas, Clark gas company, gas me out, whatever. I still want. <laughs> the Tom Brand's face is fantastic. dude. Yeah. It was funny. It was oh. that. There was, there was, there was some good ones. There was a uh, Earl Hall. He's like my homie. So I feel bad saying this, but his last name's Hall. So it was like Earl Town Hall. I just kind of try to make it funny. Uh, what was Mello. the bank one? I was just about to say, Dicamello. So George is like also a good buddy of mine. We've known each other. We went to the same club when we were five years old. Crazy, right? Dang. Yeah. So uh, I wrestled George three times in, in college. And every single time, I should not have won. Like there's <laughs> no, like I, I don't know how this happened, right? So the first time, the first time actually I beat him, like just regular, I took him down, wrote him out. And it was like five to two, right? The second time was at Vegas. And this was crazy. He was winning four to one or something stupid. Yeah, four to one with a minute and like two or three seconds of riding time. So essentially five to one. Yeah. The third period, Instead of choosing down, he chooses feet because he doesn't want to erase his riding time. He's like, yeah, I'll choose feet. He hasn't taken me down yet. Boom, let's go feet. So I'm like, oh, crap. Like, I'm screwed. Like, the, you know, my head, obviously, I'm not thinking this. But, like, now it I comes can the heat. Like, yeah. I'm like, I got to go. Like, holy cow. So I start peppering, like, trying to get in, trying to get in, trying to get in. Can't get in. At one point, um, I got a stalling call, I think. And it was, like, four to two. I, with 10 seconds left snap him down. I try to go behind and I like completely have never hit this in my entire life. The little shuck by like the, I say like, Ole, you know, kind of like, <laughs> Ole, I'm by. I never hit it. Right. I shuck him by and somehow with two seconds left on the clock, I get a takedown those two seconds. He raced the riding time. And now there's 59 seconds. It's four to four. Instead of him having a riding point, we go into overtime. We go a minute, 30, 30, another minute, another 30, 30, Eventually, I, I wrote him out, I think, and I got escaped. So I kind of got lucky, right, with a little shock at the end. That wasn't even the bad one. The bad one was at a dual meet the following year. This was really bad. <laughs> he, he took me down in the first period and rode me out the whole period. He had like an hour of riding time on me, right? <laughs> so and I'm down 2-0, essentially 3-0. I choose down in the second period. I'm sorry, he chooses down in the second period. I got a cheap tilt. Made it two to two. As I tilt him, though, he gets out, he escapes and takes me down. It was like, like you're learning at five years old. Like as I cut, shoot, it was like one of those. So now it's five to two. He has a riding point. So it's essentially six to two, right? Uh, 
long story short, third period comes around. I have to choose feet because I haven't gotten out on him yet. And I'm just like going as hard as I can. I'm down six to two plus, no, five to two plus a writing writing time. Yeah, Yeah. six to two right now, right? I'm trying so hard to take him down and I just like can't for like a minute and a half. Finally, with like 20 seconds left, I get on a high crotch and I finish. Now it's six to four and I go to cut him. This is where it gets funny. (laughs) I go to cut him. And he like kind of grabs my hands. Like he's not stalling, but he's like, why am I going to let you cut me? Like I had 20 seconds left. You know what I mean? So he's like holding onto my hands. Right. And out of instinct, I thought I was going to hit for stalling. So I dropped down to a high crotch to like return to the mat. As I dropped down to a high crotch, I had this move that I hit on Brewer all the time that kind of like back hook and, and roll him up. And for some reason I was like, well, I guess I'm going to try this. Right. Cause I was trying to cut him. I was like, not trying to do this. So I fall into the crackdown, I roll them up, and I get a four count. Four count is four points in, in college, right? So it was six to two, take down six to four, four count, eight to six, and then time expired. And I, I look up, and I see his dad, right? His dad's, like, looking at me like, are you kidding me? Because I know his dad, <laughs> like, real well, right? So the, the, the name of the shirt, or the name of the building on the shirt is Decamelo Bank because I robbed him because I should not <laughs> – I should not have won, dude. I like, that was not fair. <laughs> dude, thank God you're out there in the wrestling world spreading this kind of this holiday cheer that you do. Come man. On. <laughs> it's fantastic. I really no, appreciate th- Thank God that you're doing this kind of stuff. Listen, podcasts change the game. And I, I'm like, I'm not saying this because you asked me to come on because I do appreciate it, but I've seen your stuff like a lot. You are doing a very good job. And I appreciate anybody who who could who could do this. I know I was kind of like not shading wrestling earlier, but like, you know, saying like, Hey, there's more to life than wrestling. Yeah. At the same time, wrestling is my life. You know, at the end of the day, I love wrestling and what you're doing for the sport is awesome. So thank you. Thank you, man. It means a lot. It's, it's only possible if people like you come on here. So again, appreciate it, Sam. Thank you for hooking this up, my friend. I hope you're out there listening. Johnny we will be, uh, I'm sure we'll have you on here soon, man. This I, hey, listen, anytime I'll come on and chop it up. You let and me if know. If you're in Illinois, let me know, dude, we'll meet up and do this in person. Well, what, where are you in Illinois, if you don't mind me asking? Chicago. So I, uh, do you know the Hosseltons? He's a couple times state champ down in Chenoa. I, uh, I'll be there at the end of July, but I'm there for like four or five days. So I'll pop up to Chicago maybe or something and, and check dude, it out the city. pop up. Yeah, I just yeah, bought I a condo, up. dude, so we have an extra room. Come on nice. over. All right, cool. Sounds good. And that's the end of this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. Thank you so much for tuning in. To watch the full video interview, go to YouTube Wrestling Change My Life. And that's it. We'll see you next time.